our scripture reading, we turn to 2 Kings chapter 22. And here we have a historical narrative that brings out this idea that the law of God points out to us our sin and also the judgment of God that comes upon the sinner. And we read 2 Kings 22, starting at verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 30 and 1 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adaiah of Bozkath. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work, and of the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the doers of the work, which is in the house of the Lord, to repair the breaches of the house unto carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand because they dealt faithfully. And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan, the scribe, came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work, that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Akbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Azahiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go ye inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam 
and Akbor, and Shaphan, and Azahiah, went unto Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, and they communed with her. She said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I bring evil upon this place, and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read. Because they have forsaken me, and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place, and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall ye say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, As touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou wast humbled, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes, and wept before me. I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace. And thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. So far we read from the scriptures this morning. And what we just read and the rest of scripture are the basis for the teaching of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 2. There we read. Whence knowest thou thy misery? Out of the law of God. What doth the law of God require of us? Christ teaches us that briefly. Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Canst thou keep all these things perfectly? In no wise, for I am prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. <laughs> Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, when we read Lord's Day 2, we're struck by how it 
speaks of how it speaks of our misery. The first question is, whence knowest thou thy misery? And it speaks of our misery and says, well, we know out of the law of God. That's the source. That's how we've been taught. We've been taught by the law of God, which shows us our sin and speaks of the curse that we deserve. And then when the question is asked what the law of God requires, which is to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbors, ourselves, then the question is, can you do that? Can you keep all these things perfectly? That's what God calls us to do. And we say no. In fact, we, we come right out and make the confession that we're prone to to hate God. We're prone to do the opposite, to hate God and our neighbor. One might read that and think, well, that's pretty, that's pretty negative. And that, that's, a, that's a summary of what, you know, this Lord's Day speaks about. How we know our misery. Yet, the previous Lord's Day said, Knowledge of our misery is one of the things we need to know. That enjoying this comfort that we're not our own, we might live and die happily. That we need to know how great our sins and miseries are. Well, this section on the misery of man is really pretty short in the Heidelberg Catechism. And then we move on to the subject of deliverance at some length and then also go on for some time about how we express our gratitude this section on our misery is is quite short but it's important that we be thankful to God that he gives us that he works in us that he shows us our sin and that he works in us a sorrow for sin like he did in Josiah. Many people would hear the law of God or be aware of what God's law says. They just continue on in their sin. They don't humbly bow before God and confess their sin. They don't confess answer 50, answer 5. They don't say that. They don't say they're prone to hate God and their neighbor. That they deny that. I think if you went to the typical unbeliever and you asked them, you know, somebody that just externally say, now of course we don't know the heart, but just to make a point, you know, if you were to talk to people randomly, and many people, you know, say that they believe in God, and if you were to ask them, you know, do, do you hate God? No. Many would not admit that they do. Many would not say that they're prone by nature to hate God. Many people think that man is basically good. He does some bad things. But basically good. And about himself personally, many would deny that they hate God, that they hate their neighbor. But that God works in certain people that they confess 
They really are prone to hate God and their neighbor. It's really true that they see that in themselves. They see that that is characteristic of their nature, and, they're, and they grieve. They're sorry. The way we see that Josiah responded when he heard the word of God, when he heard the law of God, that when he heard it, he thought, we haven't been doing this. And God speaks of the judgment that comes on those that don't do what God says. And he quickly wanted to go to God. He talked to people about inquire of the Lord. Why is it that somebody would respond that way when they'd hear the law of God? Well, God works in his people a sorrow for sin. They confess the depravity of man with sorrow and they look to God and indeed when we get to Lord's Day 44 we bring that up How, why is it so important that we know our sinfulness why do we preach the law so strictly and we might grow to know more our sinful nature and that we might be more earnest in, in going to God and here we see Josiah hearing this and going to God. We go to God and ask for forgiveness. And we look to God for the grace of the Spirit to fight against our foes. Going through the catechism this time, I'm going to be trying to find a number of illustrations. Sometimes, maybe as you know, just illustrate biblical illustrations from different points of view. Sometimes it may be a, a historical event like this one here that brings out this whole idea that the law of God shows us our, our misery. And we look at this Lord's Day under the theme taught by the law of God. We consider, first of all, the requirement. Secondly, the confession that we make. We first look at what God's law requires, and that we hear that. Secondly, the confession that is made in this, in this Lord's Day, and that we, by the grace of God, confess. And what Josiah confessed when he heard the law of God and then thirdly the the comfort taught by the law of God first is the, the basic fundamental idea that God's law is the standard and we're to look at God's law what God's law tells us that we are to do and then we're going to look at what we're to look at what we do when we see what God tells us we're supposed to do, and then we look at what we do. Just like this Lord's Day points out, the law of God is the standard. Now we recognize that, as obvious as that is, that we tend to look elsewhere at the standard as to what we should do. And let the world tell us the standard we're to shoot for. 
if we're going to be successful, if we're going to be doing well, well, what should we do? And then the world will, they'll tell us. The world will tell us what to do. The world will tell us what we're not to do. To be doing well. And we look at that as the standard. And we compare ourselves to what they say. And we know we're not to do that. We're to look at the law of God. That's the standard. We also recognize that when we're to look at the law of God, we're not to look at it externally. Because there's that danger too. That we just have in our mind, we just think about, in our thoughts, we only think about certain things that God tells us we're to do. We're to frequent the house of God on the Lord's day, so we're to make sure we're there. And as we have catechism instruction, and as we have instruction in our schools, making sure the children are prepared for their classes, whether in catechism or, or in school, there are certain things that we are to do. But we recognize that even an unbeliever can be present every service. You can have an unbeliever that never misses a service. You could have an unbeliever that's whose children always know their work and just, they always do well in their classes. Parents make sure they know it all and they've got it memorized. They spend plenty of time studying. And yet one could do all those things externally while not doing what God says from the heart. And the standard, when we look at the law of God here as the source of the knowledge, of our knowledge of our misery, we look specifically at the summary We also go through the Ten Commandments later. It's good to see how, that, how the summary is brought up here and the Ten Commandments brought up later. The Ten Commandments we go through when we're looking at the law of God from the point of view of showing how we express our gratitude. And then we go through each of those commandments one at a time. Here, when we're looking at the, it from the point of view that the law shows us our misery, teaches us our misery, here we quote the sum of the law, the summary of the law. The fact that we are commanded to love God. You can't externalize that. When it says, it's speaking of something that in your heart that you love him. That you love God. That you study the word, you study the word out of a love for God. 
that you read the word as one who loves God, as you gather and listen to the word as one who loves God with all your heart, and are attentive as one who loves God and who loves to hear what God, delights to hear what God says. You love his word, you love his truth. And then that love shows itself in loving the neighbor. Loving the neighbor as ourselves. God says, if you don't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you love God whom you have not seen? And we recognize and we confess that we show our love for God loving our neighbor. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. Well, when we consider the summary of the law here, and then the question is asked whether or not you and I do that, whether or not we can, it doesn't just say, do you do this? But it says, can you? So it doesn't just ask, are you doing that right now? Are you loving God with all your heart right now? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself right now? But it asks, can you do that? Can you love God perfectly? All the time with your whole heart? Can you love your neighbor genuinely? All the time? Perfectly? Can you do that? And we confess in this. We know we can't. And yet we confess that we know that is required. That's an important word. What does the law of God require of us? Does God require that? Yes. The law of God requires that I love him with all my heart. And if I love him, I'll show that in keeping his commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, Keep my commandments. We won't love the world. We're warned, don't love not the world. We won't love the world. We'll love God. We'll love our neighbor. And we'll show our love for our neighbor. And then you can go through the different commandments. In the sixth commandment, we talk about sinful anger and envy. Some say, well, I do love my neighbor. Well, do you see the sinful anger? 
Do you see envy? Do you see desire for revenge? With the seventh commandment, do you see within yourself lustful, sinful thoughts and desires? That's not out of love for the neighbor. Or the eighth commandment in our business dealings. Do we promote the advantage of the other one, of, of our neighbor? <coughs> That's what we're supposed to do. Everybody's designed to, everybody instead, everybody just looks out for themselves first without going beyond a certain point where you're doing something illegal. One's minds are on their own advantage. Well, we're to promote the advantage of our, of our neighbor. And not bearing false witness, not being a backbiter or a slanderer. Well, you think of how often we may complain about others backbiting and yet be doing the same ourselves. Canst thou keep all these things perfectly? And we answer, no. No, we can't. We're prone to do the, the opposite of what God says. But that's what God's law requires. God's law requires us. When we say, no, we can't, we're prone to do the opposite. Then you come back to question four. But God's law does require that you do. You say you can't do it, but God's law does require that you do. And God's law speaks about the judgment of God that comes upon those who don't. It not only says you must do this and you must not do this, and many of the commandments, of course, are in the Ten Commandments are of a negative. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Here in the summary, we have it from a positive point of view. Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and so on. Love thy neighbor. Well, the law not only says what we are called to do and what we are, what's forbidden, but the law of God also speaks of the judgment of God that comes upon those who don't. We read the Ten Commandments this morning and you take note of the fact that there are references to that. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So it not only speaks about what not to do, but it speaks of the judgment of God. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Or you think of the, what's mentioned in 
Lord's Day 4, when it says, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. The law of God also speaks of the judgment of God, the curse, cursed is he that does not do what God's law requires. Now that then, we consider the requirement and also the reference to the judgment of God that comes upon the violators, that then leads us to consider Josiah's confession here and our confession when we hear when we hear the law of God that Josiah confessed we have not been doing this uh, he rent his clothes and he spoke of that he said, our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book. And Josiah, Josiah was the last of the godly kings of Judah before the, the Babylonian captivity. And you know how it refers to him began to reign when he was eight years old and it makes a specific reference to the fact that he turned not aside he walked in the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left and when he was 16 you also can read of this in 2nd Chronicles that it talks about when he was 16 that he sought the God of David his father as a young man and he's seeking the God of David his father it's quite the the statement it makes a specific reference to the fact that he was still young in the eighth year of his reign, now he started reigning when he was eight, and now in the eighth year of his reign, so roughly say 16, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. That's quite something that makes a point of a young man, a young, we would say a young person, and makes a specific reference to him seeking God. Seeking the God of David, his father. And when he was a little past that age, he, he took helpers and he went and destroyed the idols in the land, we're told. And we told he even went up to the northern tribes where the northern tribes, you know, they had been taken captive to Assyria. And he went to the land where the northern tribes were. And he, he destroyed things up there too. The idolatry. 
He came to Bethel and found that altar that Jeroboam had made for his golden calf. Remember he set up those golden calves in Dan and in Bethel? And some 300 plus or so years before that, a prophet had said that a king named Josiah would destroy the altar and would burn the bones of the priests on it. And he did that very thing. He took the bones of the priests out of their graves and burned them on that altar. That altar that had been made in connection with that worship of the golden calf. And he tore down the altar just as the prophet had said. And then later, we read of how Josiah also wanted to fix up the temple. And the money was collected from the people of Judah, from the people. Uh, money was collected for the, for the temple. And the workmen were to start repairing the broken down parts of the temple. And Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of God. And, you know, there were, we all have a copy of the word of God. There would have been relatively few copies in those days. The priests were to have a copy. You know, the priests, were, the priests were to have the book of the law. You recall that the king, the king was to have a copy. And he was to meditate upon it every day. When he sits upon the throne of his kingdom, he shall write him a copy of this law in a book of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and so on. That was in Deuteronomy 17. Well, they find, Hilkiah finds copies of the word of God, a copy of the, a copy of the, of the law of God. You know, or rather, they, he finds the, the book of the law that the priest had. And the book was brought to the king and was read. And the law said what would happen. It not only said what was to be done and what was not to be done, but the law of God also said what would happen to anybody that, to the people if they disobeyed.
One chapter that some have wondered if, when the book was read, at least part of it was read to the king. Some have wondered if maybe included in that would have been the portion in Deuteronomy 28 that speaks of the blessings and the curses. It says, if you hearken diligently into the voice of the Lord to observe all his commandments, then it says, blessed shalt thou be in the city, blessed shalt thou be in the field, and so on. And then in the middle of that chapter, it says, but it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments, and so on. Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field, and so on. And it goes on and speaks about the judgment of God that would come upon the people. And when Josiah heard that, he rent his clothes. He rent his clothes. And he sent the people, the men, to talk to the prophetess, whose name was Huldah, to ask, to inquire of the Lord. And then he got the, the word of God from the prophet Huldah, prophetess Huldah, said that, talked about what was going to happen. And said that Josiah personally was going to die before he, this took place. Uh, it says, I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read, because they've forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods, and so on. He spoke about the judgment of God that was going to come, but also spoke about how Josiah himself would go to the grave. I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And such was the word of God to Josiah. Of course, God would preserve his people. We talk about the judgment of God that comes. We know that God would chasten his elect people in love. There were many in Israel who were not truly believers. And yet there were those who truly were. And certainly God would preserve his church, and he did. But we're looking at it from the point of view of how Josiah hears the law of God and he rends his clothes and he says, we haven't been doing this. Our fathers haven't been doing this. He confesses that. When we say the law of God teaches us our misery, misery refers to our unhappiness, our wretchedness, and it refers to the fact that we're prone to do the opposite 
and God's judgment comes upon those who don't do what God says. So you look at both of those aspects when you talk about our misery. That on the one hand, you see what the standard says and you say, I'm prone by nature to do the opposite. So that we look at our sinfulness. Now, not only our sinful deeds, but our sinful nature. And that we confess our nature. We see the problem. It's our nature. Our nature is evil, is corrupt, sinful. And someone may wonder, what does that mean when you talk about the nature? You talk about man's mind and his will, his heart, not just what he does, his actions. But when you talk about man's nature, we're talking about his mind. We're talking about his will, talking about the heart. His mind is dark, blindness. His will is hard, rebellious. In his heart, he hates God. That's what we're like by nature. That's, that's the teaching of total depravity. Total depravity is teaching that man's nature is corrupt. He's a corrupt tree that produces, he's not going to, he can't produce good fruit. A corrupt tree isn't going to produce good fruit. When you talk about his nature, you're talking about him as a true, looking at you know, illustration as a tree, rather than talking about the fruit and saying that the tree is corrupt. So, of course, he's not going to produce good fruit. He can't. There are many that say that even an unbeliever can produce good fruit, can do good works. That, that's one of, one of the teachings of those who hold the common grace. There are those that hold the common grace that have taught that, that an unbeliever can do some good works. And that's not true. If he can do some good works, then there must be, that must mean that he's not completely corrupt tree but he is a corrupt tree his whole nature is corrupt he will never repent he'll never believe an unbeliever though you show him the word of God though you show him the law of God though you tell him the judgment of God that will come upon those who reject the word, they won't turn. They don't want to hear the word of God. They may tremble when you talk about judgment to come. That Christ is coming back and there's going to be a final judgment. They may tremble when they hear of that. They may they fear punishment. But they won't turn from their sin. Even though you tell them. 
the judgment of God that will come upon the impenitent. They won't hurt. They'll never believe. They'll never obey the God whom they hate. And Romans makes that connection. They can't obey the God whom they hate. We read that in Romans 8, verses 7 and 8. And that's what we too are like by nature. You can see the hatred of an unbeliever when you set before them the truth. Just like when Christ, who is the truth, when he came and stood in the midst of men, they called him an evildoer and they wanted him crucified. Especially those who were hypocrites, who were religious leaders, especially they were going to stir up the people. And that they hated him. It manifested their hypocrisy, their hatred for God. When God, when one is standing in their midst who is God and man, you see the hatred that's referred to in this Lord's Day. We're prone by nature to hate God. So that if Christ is standing in the midst, people would hate him. Though he's sin, you know, he's sinless. He's God and man, a real righteous man. Sinful man would hate him. Does hate him. Or if you set before an unbeliever a true believer. The seed of the serpent hates those who have the seed of the woman. We, by the grace of God, make this confession with sorrow. How is it that anybody does? Well, the only ones that do are the ones who have the law of God written in their heart. That God said he would write his law in our heart. Here you read of the book of the law being read to Josiah. And God tells us, his law is written in our heart. And when God's law is in our heart, we know him. And we have a sorrow for sin. We sorrow when we hear the law of God and we confess. We're prone to do the opposite. And we say that with sorrow. It's not just an intellectual acknowledgement, but we say that with sorrow. We humble, we humbly come to God. As God says to Josiah, Thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord. That we hear the law of God, and we humble ourselves before the righteous and holy God, and confess with sorrow, I uh, my nature, I'm prone by nature to do the opposite of this. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? 
and we look to God to deliver us. And you see how Josiah did that, that he looked, he hears this, he rends his clothes, and very and right, then we quickly read of him saying, Go ye inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah. That we go to God, and our God comforts us. Our God comforts us and tells us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He was cursed, became a curse for us. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. He suffered the accursed death. And our Lord assures us of this, that though we, he points out what we deserve. And when we examine ourselves, and tonight actually is preparatory, we begin talking about that already now, that when we examine ourselves, we're supposed to think of the curse, examine our sin and the curse we deserve. Which applies right to this Lord's Day, looking at it from the viewpoint of the curse that we deserve. Our law shows us our sins and it points us to the, the curse that we deserve, but then we're directed to Christ who suffered the for us and was obedient unto death, even the accursed death of the cross. And our Lord also comforts us with the truth that he nourishes our soul to everlasting life. You think of the words that we have in the Lord's Supper form. We have the illustration of the broken bread and the poured out wine. And our mind is directed to the, the suffering and death of our Lord. And we, we're directed to think of his, how he has reconciled us to God. And also, not to, it, on, it not only directs us to his work for us, but the Lord's Supper directs our mind to Christ's work in us. You can see, clearly see that in the Lord's Supper. If you're, it's setting forth Christ's death, his work for us, but also he's feeding us. He's nourishing our souls to everlasting life. His crucified body and shed blood. And he's assuring us of that. He's assuring us of his love. That he really is nourishing us. He assures us that we're forgiven. That our sins are washed away. That we're righteous in Christ. And that we have the beginning of the new obedience. A small beginning. And that one day we'll be delivered from that sinful nature. Even already now, we have the beginning of the deliverance. And one day, we'll sin no more. 
Our Lord comforts us with that assurance. And we have comfort in life and in death. As it mentions here with Josiah, who would soon after this die. Soon in the sense that our life is short. In fact, in his case, it says that he, he was eight when he reigned, and he only reigned 31 years. We have comfort in life and in death that we belong to our Savior. And it's good that we're taught about our misery. And we bring this subject up again when we get to the end of the Heidelberg Catechism. We, after we go through the Ten Commandments, why did we do that? Why did we go through all those commandments and, and preach the law of God? Why is it so strictly preached? That we might know more our sinful nature. And then it doesn't just say that and stop there, but that we might be more earnest in going to God. seeking remission of sin and the grace of the Holy Spirit. We go to God. Did you and I, when we hear what the law of God requires, you and I see that sinful hatred in ourselves and we grieve and we ask God to forgive us and we're comforted that we are forgiven. And we ask him to strengthen, strengthen us by the power of his spirit. That we may, we desire to show forth our love for him, keeping his commandments, being submissive to him, loving our neighbor, showing our love for God, loving our neighbor. And we look to God for the grace to do that. We have comfort. In, throughout this life and in our death, knowing that the Lord who has begun a good work in us will perform it to his honor, to his glory. May we go to him in humility, seeking forgiveness, and may we rejoice as those who have been comforted, knowing and confessing that we belong to our Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Our oh Lord, our God and our Father, we're very thankful, O oh Lord, for thy grace, thankful for the comfort that thou dost give unto us. We are sinners. We have depraved natures. Thou dost speak of what we're called to do and the judgment that comes on all those that don't. Oh Lord, we are sorry for our sins and so thankful for the sacrifice of Christ. May we go through each day mindful of his sacrifice, what he has done, and what he is doing within us. And may we be diligent in our work to show forth our love for thee in all that we do. Grant that grace to us and grant this grace unto us for all thy people, for Christ's sake. Amen.